and welcome to episode three of the We Scottish Book Club with me, the West Coast Wonder Woman, Natalie, and the Dundee's Desperate Dan, Scott. I'll take that one. (laughs) I'll take that one. He loves a cow pie, so do I. (laughs) And he's all about, like, lifting stuff. That's me. I was going to ask how you were, Scott, but... Last week, I asked you how you were, and you didn't ask me back. So, just so you know, I'm fine. <laughs> but we'll just leave it there, okay? And no, no, I won't forgive you. It was me that pointed this out. I don't know if you actually noticed. No, I, I, I'm going to pretend been... I did. Oh, so you're I was crying. I was, I was crying a lot. I actually was going to, was, I was speaking to my wife, and I was like, I don't know if we can continue the podcast. Wow. After episode two. Because he doesn't care about me. I just, I just got so excited about what we we're going to talk about. I got lost. <laughs> just yeah, didn't that... care. Didn't care about your co-star in the meantime. <laughs> co-star, not just co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Episode three, we're now stars. Woo-hoo! Anyway, what have you been up to this week? Um, well, a quite quiet week. Other than the fact, I that's now three weeks in a row. I'm going to say, Eleanor. Um, it was her birthday this week. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, so we had a, a good wee family weekend um, on the weekend past, and we went to soft play. We had the family around for our actual birthday. Eleanor had a ball. It was great. Um, but it got right in the way of my reading time. Mm. Um, and that was bothersome. So the, the, the recommendation you have for people is just don't, don't do it. Don't have children. If you want to read... Do you have a life? Don't do it. Or, yeah. or make sure you've got a babysitter. Constantly at your bed and call. I think that's the best way. Mm. Yeah. So that's us. We've done uh, the topic of this week's podcast. We can now... Uh, so that's on. us. Childcare <laughs> with Scott. <laughs> what have you been up to? Um, I've just been eating up all the book festivals. All of them. I am now at that age where I'm just obsessed with just sitting on my couch, especially because of COVID, you can't go to these things. Sitting on my couch with a cup of tea, a book in one hand, um, and just listening to authors talking about their books, man. Honestly, absolutely amazes me. Who would have known, well, I wouldn't have known until this year, probably, that there was actual festivals dedicated to books. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I didn't know there were so many. I knew about... The one in Hay, and I knew about the Edinburgh Book Festival, and that is about as far as I went. I knew about Paisley Book Festival. That was it. But so yesterday I was listening to the Wayward Festival, which is in Aberdeen, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And the one I was listening to was your wee pal, Irvin Welsh, because he has a new book coming out, and it's called The Seal Club, and it's with Alan Warner and John, John King, I think it is. Don't really know of them, but obviously Irvin Welsh, we know who he is. He's like Scottish legend. Mm. Um, and he actually read out a party's novella um, that's in it, and it was Begbie. So I definitely think you should be getting Ooh. on that, especially after our last chat. That is something I'm now interested in. And Irvin Welsh, I didn't expect him to be so good at reading aloud. He's yeah. absolutely amazing. Even does all the actions and stuff and, you know, changes his voice to suit whatever is happening. Um, totally blew my mind. But I thought you would definitely um, I Yeah, I think that's right up my street. And actually, going into um, that, um, we mentioned the Scots Prize a couple of weeks ago. And um, one of the authors that were on that was Colin Burnett. Um, <clears throat> and... A working class state of mind is his book. It was a couple of days after we had that chat, I got a message from the man himself saying, I've seen you've posted a couple of times about Begbie from Trainspotting. I've just released a book and there is a character in there that has been compared to Begbie. And so he sorted me out and I've now got a copy of his book and I am so excited to read it because of the Begbie link. I really want to read that one as well. Um, I've obviously not read Trainspotting, but what I've heard so many rave reviews about it, so mm. I'm quite jealous, to be honest. Um, the other um, book festival that I was at uh, was 
bloody Scotland. Oh, the sound effects. <laughs> this is episode, we have become stars. So that was, that's a festival, I think it's in Stirling, is it? And yeah, it's for Stirling. thriller books, crime books, um, authors and book lovers of those those genres. I'm not really into crime or thrillers, but I still, I thought I'll just watch it and see. And it absolutely blew my mind. Listen to big stars like Steve Cavanagh, Joe Nesbo, C.L. Taylor, who I have read. I'm a big fan of C.L. Taylor, actually. Val McDermott, another Scottish legend. Mm. Alan Gillespie even got to go on stage for two minutes. I don't know if you've seen that. And he I've read seen a bit. the clip, yeah. Yeah, he read a bit out about the Mash House because Bloody Scotland do this amazing thing where before every massive event, they give a new author two minutes to come on and read an, an extract of their book. I think um, that's brilliant. Yeah, definitely. There's hundreds of hundreds of really good ones I ended up jotting down that I really want to get. And that's the genre you're not particularly into. Just but they now. totally sold me, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the main chat that I really wanted to mention, I don't know if you caught this one, was your guy Ian Rankin. Did you catch that one? No, I didn't see it. Oh, Scott. I don't know if it was after our chat last week and how you sold me in Rebus. Listening to him talk, he is an absolute genius. So he yeah, is. I've listened to previous stuff, not that particular one, but he he does sell himself really, really well. Uh huh. Um, it was because he's brought out a new book called Dark Remains with uh, the late great William Willie Willie was it Willie? Yeah, Willie McIlvenny. Um, and it was such a nice touching story because him and Willie McIlvenny were friends. Um, but when Willie passed away, there was this book that wasn't ever finished and um, his agent and I think his publisher I think it was Canongate Books but don't quote, quote me in that um, asked Ian if he would finish the story and Ian said I will but it's not my story so I don't want it to like when you're reading it to be an Ian Rankin book I want it to be Willie McIlvenny's voice um, it was just such a nice touching story so it was. That is such an interesting concept. Yeah yeah. An idea and a book developed by a different author to the one that finishes it you have to take on the writing style of someone else I know. that's difficult the only time i've ever heard of that happening is there's a uh, oh, swedish girl with the dragon tattoo oh stig larsson yeah stig larsson, he passed yeah. away and then there's an f3 or four um, yeah and they're just it was his they're, son was it was it, was it? i think I so that. yeah that they're still good but it's it's obvious it's a different voice, different writing styles. So it would be interesting to see if this reads like a Rankin or a McIlvenny. Because obviously yeah. Rankin's added characters, taking some out and stuff as well. So you know that's no my vibe, but my wife watched it with me as well, come home with the book. So this is a prequel to McIlvenny's works. So we'll read this one first and then read the other ones. Jump in. Yeah, so I think... Hopefully, I'll be an Ian Rankin convert. I'm a, I, I love Ian Rankin now, but that's his personality. And that's without you reading anything. I so. know. <laughs> wonder if I like his books. Oh, we'll soon see. We'll soon see. Stay tuned to the We Scottish Book Club to find out, I guess. When I read them in five years. Yeah. Maybe we'll still be talking in five years. Um, so what have you been reading this week? Right. I have finished be good to your mammy but I don't want to talk about that one this week nope. um, because we are going to talk a lot about that uh, in a future episode but this week I've had a couple of books on the go um, I've been reading Hamnet and I have also been reading um, News of the Dead hmm. um, and Hamnet I am further through mm-hmm and I have no idea what's going on. They're both both books you're reading the now are quite slow bundles as well. Yeah. I've like other people are reading these at the same time as me, and I am behind on both. So I have witnessed other people now pick up the book and go, I am loving this, and they're away. Um, but for me, I'm still in that everything's being set, the scenes being sort of painted for me. And I'm not in that, oh my goodness, I can't wait for reading time tonight yet. Um, I'm still very hopeful because there are two books that I'm hearing very good things about. Um, I'm just not quite at the, 
I'm loving this stage. I think Hamlet is always quite slow. It's just beautiful. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, but there was elements of it where I thought, I, I really don't want to read that part. Can I skip it? Um, whereas News of the Dead, it's slow to start with when it's set in the scene. It's quite classical in the way it's written. I think that's with. why I'm struggling. It's, yeah. it's very highbrow in the yes, way it. it's, it's written. And although we come across highbrow, we are not hmm. quite there. Yeah, so it's a totally different mindset I need to get into to read that book. Um, and hey, I read it on my way to the gym today. Uh, so I got a good 40 minutes in on my walk to the gym. And I am feeling it a little bit more. You were reading a hardback while walking to the gym. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is, this is a new thing. I've become one of those guys um, that you see out and about reading books as they're going. Audiobook, what's that? I don't know. So until a bike comes along and like, hits you and then your wife's a widow? Well, she might be. Um, but yeah, but at least you'll finish your chapter. Exactly. <laughs> I'd have got 40 minutes in. I'm struggling just now because I'm reading late at night and I'm doing the whole like nodding off the, the head going thing. So I think that might be one of the reasons I'm not getting into things. So I thought, oh, I've got 40 minutes. Instead of listening to something as I walk, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my book. And actually someone from my work texted me and said, hey, Scott, did I see you on the Arbroath Road reading a book as you were walking along the cycle path? Yes, I was. I was the psychopath you on were the walking, psychopath. You were walking along the psychopath. Well, it's like real. a shared, it's a shared path. It's, like, it's, it's a it's, shared psychopath with you yeah, reading yeah. a book, not paying attention, and just and a couple the of cyclists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Safe. Safety first, folks. Yeah, but I'm reading my books and I'm liking them. <laughs> <laughs> what are you reading? So, Scott, we have read so many sad books so many yeah cried i actually at one point got to the point i was like why am i so sad all the time why am i so emotional is it because you know this is coming yeah it's because i need to look at your face maybe twice a week something no that's the highlight so that's that's the highlight um but i was wondering is it the weather you know cold nights coming in you're getting sad no no it's because i'm putting all this sadness into my brain Mm. So I was looking at what we have read, and we have read most of these together, not all, but this is me going as far back as me, okay? Okay. So I've read The Doll Factory. Everyone in this room, everyone in this room will someday be dead. Title's great. (laughs) Affliction, growing up with a closeted gay dad. Yep, great. A Little Life. Whoa, cheery, everywhere. Mm. The Mash House. Stabbing. Misery. Well, title. The Book Thief. Mm. Sobbing into my spaghetti, as we've said. Very much so. Yeah, you had salty spaghetti that night. <laughs> Blade in the Shadow, Jill and Halkett. So, I know them, there was about two books that weren't classed as sad, but were still emotional. So I thought, you know, this time I'm just going to pick up a nice, easy, cheesy wee read, right? Great. What did you pick? So I picked up Land on Me by Matt Core, which is in America. Uh, It's a jock at school. He's very popular. He's got the best girlfriend. He's going to be, have a career in football, all this. Um, And then he sees a guy and he's attracted to him and doesn't know why. So it's a kind of coming of age story about sexuality, identity, all that sort of thing. If you think 13 Reasons Why, Glee, and what I imagine Dear Evan Hansen to read like, because I've still got it on my TBR, I've not read it yet. (laughs) If they had a really, really gay baby, right? So, loved it all the way through it. I'm thinking this is an easy read. I was reading it alongside the News of the Dead. So, do you know, it's a bit like... Yeah. A bit nice cheery and fast-paced and then slower, you know, reading a wee bit at a time. And then I got to the end. Loved it, by the way. Loved the whole book, by the way. I would really recommend it. But it got really, really dark. And I was oh, no. sobbing again. I was like, what is oh, going on? No. Um, so... If you want to be happy, just read the first three quarters and then can you set it to the side for a wee while until you're ready for a wee cry. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and so, also, um, I suppose you're you're on the lookout then for a happy book. So people should, yeah. people should get in touch with the contact details at the end of the podcast. 
All right. And now that we've had a little bit of a life update, that moves us into our two featured books of the week. Um, so the first one of those is going to be the Scottish Book of the Week, which Natalie is going to give us in just a moment. And then we'll move on to our Name That Book uh, segment where I get to pick a book from anywhere in the world as long as I answer the question set by Natalie. So Natalie, what is our Scottish Book of the Week? Okay, so October is Black History Month here in the UK. So I was looking for a Scottish book based around that because I've never came across that. I don't know if you have, Scott. Something I've never really came across before. Um, I read about the slave trade and race issues from England, even, America, but never Scotland. Um, I actually struggled to find something which I thought was quite strange um, because we do have a history of slave trade in Scotland as well. But I did find one. Um, and by the way, I'm not saying there isn't any. It's just that I, I struggled to find them. So if you do have any, me and Scott would love to read them. We're, we're right into reading about different cultures, different races and history. So please get in touch. Give us any of your recommendations. We would really, really appreciate that. But I found Lamplighter by Jackie Kay, which was a play. Um, so it's not a big novel. It's what, 87 pages. So it's not a okay. big read. And it's written in yeah. the style of a play. Um, but it's based around four women, Black Harriet, Constance, Mary, and the Lamplighter. And it's in the 17, late 1700s, early 1800s, and they've been ripped from their homes and taken, put in a dungeon, sold to the highest bidder, and then transported across the world um, in slave ships to the other side of the world and made to work. You know, they were raped, battered, had their children taken off them, basically treated like cattle. That's how they're treated, you know. Um, that's all they were for. They were either working or breeding, and that was it. Um, but it's it was really quite interesting because Jackie didn't want to write it when she was when she was asked to write it. She was asked to write it in two thousand and seven to not celebrate, commemorate. I don't know the word yep. to use, um, but it was the two hundredth anniversary of the abolishment of slave trade. So she was asked to write it, but she said that she didn't want to, or she was a bit, she didn't, she didn't want to, she was a bit standoffish about it. She wasn't sure whether to write it because she didn't want to be put in a box as a black writer that only wrote about, about race or the slave trade, and that was all she could write about. But then similar to me, when she started looking into it, she realized she, A, she didn't know a lot about it and she thought she did. And B, there wasn't a lot out there. One of the great quotes from it that I found, and it's just a wee, wee line, but it just meant a lot. The plantation owner is never wearing a kilt. And most of the slaves, slavers had Scottish surnames. It's just they yeah. weren't wearing a kilt. So over here, and because it was in America, it wasn't in Scotland. We are naive and a bit ignorant to the fact that Scotland had a really, really big slave trade. I mean, in Glasgow alone, Glasgow was built on slave traders. You've got Jamaica Street, Glasford Street, Buchanan Street, Ingram Street, Virginia Street, even the Kingston Bridge. It's all names of slavers or something to do with the slave trade. Um, so I'm kind of glad she wrote it. So um, because we need to kind of wake up a wee bit. For sure. And um, obviously, if you're saying it's so hard to find, then obviously finding a voice in Scotland and, and <clears throat> things is obviously something that's really, really important. Um, and if we're struggling to find a book um, set in our country about something that is about our country, um, then that's not a brilliant... Um, no, and, and you know, book. it made me angry. I'm coming from a place, place of privilege. I'm a white Scottish person. I'm coming from a place of privilege and it made me angry. Never mind the Scottish people that are from these races. Or, this is their history. And they can't yeah. find a book. You know, we've just went, swept under the carpet as if it didn't happen. You know, 
Um, I liked it. She said it was a, like a love letter to her ancestors, which I thought was really, really beautiful. But an interesting fact from it was in 1792, 13,000 people from Glasgow put a petition together for the abolishment of the slave trade. Then I think it was in 1838, it was eventually put through and passed in Parliament. Yeah. What's that? That's over 40 odd years. Yeah, that's a generation at least mm -hmm. in there. So people knew that they did, these slaves knew that nobody wanted it anymore, but yet it was still allowed to happen, all for money. It's absolutely disgusting. And that's why we should never, ever forget about it. That's the thing with history, isn't it? We can always look back and learn, hopefully. And, and never do it things. again. Never repeat these things. Yeah. Interesting pick. So that brings me on to name that book, which in the same subject, I set you a challenge to name a book that taught you a bit about black history. Yeah. And I struggled with this one, but for a very different reason to you. Um, I had a list that I wanted to kind of bring up or talk about, and I decided I couldn't ignore the one that I've chosen. I think I know what it's going to be, right? But I think you'd be right. Um, it's Homegoing by Yagiyase. Uh, hopefully I've not murdered that name. <laughs> um, but it was probably one of the first books about the slave trade um, um, that I've read that could almost be nonfiction in the way that it's written and the story that it tells. Um, and it is fictitious. The characters, as much as they're based on uh, real people and the situations are based on true events, it is a fiction book, but the way that I read it, um, it, you could have been telling me true stories. You could have been telling me all this. So Homegoing tells the story of two different families uh, from about 1760 through to the present day. Uh, and it is, it's a properly heartbreaking book um, talking about modern slavery and, or sorry, modern slavery. It's not modern, about slavery. <laughs> Man. What's wanting to bring it back? No, no, no. Remember that thing I said? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about slavery, but also modern-day America. Um, and it follows these two families, all the descendants, all the way through the family tree as we go from 1760 to the modern day. And it kind of looks at all the challenges that these uh, people face. So we've got things like racism, slavery, poverty, hardship challenge through that kind of thing family issues uh and they're all related to race um so i find this book really hard to talk about without giving out spoilers if i mention things it, it's not so I'm, I'm not going to talk specifically about characters or where some of these characters end up um but i do have to say that the the characters that this book features and focuses on you only get a little snippet of their life as it moves from the past all the way through the timeline to now but you fall in love with characters and you feel for characters and like you've said you found yourself getting angry at the fact there was no books set in scotland or about scotland and the slave trade i found myself getting angry that this was actually a thing yeah. When I read Homegoing, the fact that I was reading a book that I've said felt like nonfiction. And I'm sitting there from that same place of privilege that you are. And I'm reading about these people and the lives that they led. And my heart breaks. But at the same time, I feel absolute fury to what I'd assume are my ancestors mm -hmm. that would have been in some way involved in this. Um, it's a hard book to read, but a book that I think everyone's bookshelf should have on it um, because it really is a book that when I started it, it's, it's like the books I'm reading now. It's a slow burn. It's you, you take some time to get 
into the the mindset and that's it's not my life it's nothing that I've encountered so it is going to be difficult for me to do that but by the end of that book I was searching for more um in this area on this topic and it lit my fire it lit the passion that I've got for this subject um and I, I now sing the praises of home going whenever I can to whoever I can. My wife recently finished it, actually. Um, and, you know, my wife, she's not really, you know, she thinks every book's okay or rubbish. Yeah. She read it and I think she was about a third of the way from the end. And she's like, she's a really fast reader as well. And she was like, I'm slowing down because I don't want it to end. I love it so much. Um, I read a lot about black history, um, especially in America. And it's one that I really, really want to get to. It's it's a hard thing because these books are important because it should never be forgotten. But at the same time, I also think a lot of people forget it was real. Like you said, yeah. you can't believe it's real. It was a real thing. You know, we could never imagine doing that to people. You know, our friends, our family, and selling them, and you know, it's honestly ridiculous. The thing about the lamp lighter is it's just a wee play, and it's only three wee words in each wee blurb because it's somebody obviously saying that. And they three wee words are the most powerful three wee words I've ever read. And I can imagine you're the same with that book. There'll be bits in that that you could just sit and read over and over and over again because they pack a punch and they just tell you everything you need to know and they make you reflect in your life and reflect on what's happened um, and I read a lot of fi- uh, non-fiction as well and I find that these books then make you want to go and say well was that true is that how that happened and it's shocking and shocking and really sad to say that that is how that happened yeah and I think homegoing is a great reflection on what it was like mm-hmm. through the generations to modern day um black people that are living in america we get to see some of that as well and it's it's not gone no never racism exists and all this kind of stuff is there and we're still part of it so we need to do better we need to educate and these books are one way of doing that definitely and like we said if you do have any about any any culture, any race, any historical moment that you think we should be reading about and educating ourselves on, let us know. We'll read it. We'll talk about it. You know, that's what books are for, to educate you. All right. Um, well, we've already mentioned through Natalie's What You Up To um, information that she has been loving the book festivals recently. And I've also been loving the book festivals, even though I've maybe not attended as many as Natalie has recently. One of the ones that has really piqued my interest this week has been the bloody Scotland. I've not got a cool sound effect. <laughs> um, and I've, I was really interested because when I looked at the list of authors that were being uh, showcased at this event, I was like, oh, I like them. Oh. They're up my street. Oh, I loved that book by that person. Um, so I did a bit of digging and I had a look at this year's event, but also the past. Um, so Bloody Scotland is a crime thriller festival based in Stirling that has been running since 2012. Um, and it is a book festival that the organisers say should be both entertaining and informative um, through all of the talks, all of the different things that they run and this year's lineup was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you've already mentioned some of the names, but we've got the likes of Stephen King, Ian Rankin, Kathy Rikes, Ambrose Parry, Scottish, Lee Child, Joe Nesbo, Linwood Barclay, uh, Val McDermott. We also had Doug Johnson. And then we also got, like you mentioned, a little cameo from uh, one of our guys at the moment, Alan Gillespie, as well, getting to read a bit about the, uh, the Mash House. And... What I really, really like about uh, Bloody Scotland and having a look at the lineup from this year is uh, quite often it pairs two of these authors up and gets them almost to interview each other. Uh, yeah. And I really, really enjoy 
seeing that because I like it when authors talk books with each other. It's like two super geeks getting together and talking about what they love and what they're passionate about. So it's like us, except they can write. Yeah, they've got the actual brains to be mm. able to do the thing we enjoy talking about. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that, that's, that's there. And one of the big things to come from Bloody Scotland are two of the awards that they hand, hand out. So they always do a debut award and the what they call the McIlvenny Prize for Best Crime Fiction. Um, and this year, the debut crime novel that won the award was Edge of the Grave by Robbie Morrison, which is now a book that I'm quite interested in. Edge of the Grave is written by Robbie Morrison. It's a dark historical crime novel set in Glasgow in 1932. Yeah, a city still recovering from the Great War, split by religious division, swarming with razor gangs. And this is, now would you believe it, for fans of William McIlvenny's Laidlaw series, so I'm uh, going to be a massive fan. Yes, this is exactly what you're wanting right now. Um, so the book is about a character called Charles Geddes, a son-in-law of one of the city's wealthiest shipbuilders. He's been found floating in the Clyde with his throat cut. Mm -hmm. uh, his beautiful widow, uh, Isa uh, Lockhart, asks... Beautiful for, name. Yeah. I think it's actually Isla now that I read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Isla Lockhart. Uh, sorry, I was thinking sorry. a wee eyes are like, we have to yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I've, I've murdered your book, Robbie. Um, <laughs> but they ask Inspector James Dreghorn to lead the murder case. Um, so quite an interesting premise, a book that I would be interested in anyway. Um, and something that I think I will be reading in the future. They also give out would you believe it? His name is featuring everywhere this week. The McIlvenny Prize. So they actually renamed the prize McIlvenny because of how much he had done for Bloody Scotland, which I found really interesting as well. I um, did not because know Because McIlvenny used to be like a really... I'm just paraphrasing, but what, what I gleaned from it, he was a really popular writer and then his books lost interest because he wasn't fashionable anymore. Um, and Bloody Scotland still supported them and he still supported them so that's why they renamed it in his honour because he is such a nice guy and a lot of crime writers owe, owe their work to McIlvenny apparently brilliant so there you go wee fun fact for you perfect well this year the award that was renamed in his honour was won by Craig Russell um, for his book which is called Hyde um, and this is a story all about a character called Edward Hyde he has a strange gift uh, or a curse, I suppose. He keeps a secret from all but his physician. He experiences Ooh. two realities. And these realities are one real and the other is a dream world state that's brought on by a neurological condition. When murders in Victorian Edinburgh echo the ancient Celtic threefold death ritual, Captain Edward Hyde hunts for those responsible. In the Ooh. process, he becomes entangled in a web of Celtic occultism and dark scheming by powerful figures. The answers are there to be found, not just in the real world, but in the sinister symbolism of Edward Hyde's other world. He must find the killer or lose his mind. Ooh. Yeah. A dark tale. I like that, that one. That sounds really good as well, but I have no clue what you said most of the time. It was big words, but they sounded mysterious and dark. I think pretty much what we can summarise is it's a modern or a more modern take on Jekyll and Hyde. That's but Apparently that's a thing in Scotland. Apparently Everybody just so. writes about Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it says more about us and our personalities, Scott. Yeah, I think that might reflect the Scottish culture very well. Um, so yeah, some big prizes there, and obviously they're now in the global conscience, these books, they're going out and about, um, so keep your eyes out for Edge of the Grave by Robbie Morrison and Hyde by Craig Russell, two prizes awarded at Bloody Scotland. Who we are not sponsored by, we just really liked it. So now it's time for our topic of conversation, which this week is Guilty Pleasure. 
Kids and pleasures. For you, those of you that are thinking of switching off, we won't do that ever again. Um, so, what do we mean by guilty pleasures, first of all? What would you class as guilty pleasures? Well, would you believe I googled the definition of what a guilty pleasure actually is? And mm-hmm. apparently, it's something, so it can be film, book, television series, whatever you want, um, that one enjoys despite feeling that it is not generally held in high regard. So wrote, something something that other folk make fun of, but you quite like. I, I wrote things that make me self-conscious. Yes, that's a good description. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll sort Google out there, no worries. Thanks, if you could do that. So what, we'll talk about books in a minute, but I was interested to know what non-bookish guilty pleasures you may have. Yeah. <laughs> Even here, I'm a bit embarrassed, but right. I We're love, all friends here. Yeah, of course we are. Um, I love watching men in their underpants while oiled up having a good old wrestle. <laughs> I am big. I am big on wrestling. I love the WWE. I like AEW. I like all of these um, wrestling promotions. And that is what I would happily sit and watch on the telly. So um, I thought you were going down the, you know, Magic Mike, you know, <laughs> that sort of yeah. way. That's how I was like, oh, I also okay. that's good. I love the Chippendales. I love it when a man yeah. gets off his kit and oils himself up. That's what I'm all about. Do you know the Chippendales when I was a wee girl, my mum had a video and me and my pals used to sneak it and sneak up in the loft and watch it. <laughs> oh, that's a guilty pleasure as well, isn't it? Bye. That's mine. That's Naughtiness, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> well, wrestling, oh. I used to love as well. Um, I kind of fell away from it because they then made it, you had to pay for it. You had to pay to watch it and stuff. So I couldn't watch it anymore. But I loved Scotty Too Hotty and Grandmaster Sexy. They were my guys. Yeah, they're both currently nicknames that people use for me. Yeah, well. Oh. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that guy. And they, they always hung out with Rikishi. Oh, yeah. Big Samoan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Stone Cold Steve Austin, I really fancied him. He was beautiful and he's big bald head. <laughs> We're getting all the revelations. I know. I was only about wow. 10. Loved well, it. Now that we've uncovered all of my guilty pleasures, uh, what's your guilty pleasure? So I started quite light, right? So I've scored these out, but I'll tell them anyway. I was at Lego Jigsaws. Was it a get it's no really it's no that much no, give me something wrote, juicier then i wrote drag race but that's like a, everybody loves drag race now okay so scored that out as well and then i wrote wicked tuna do you what? know do you know what wicked tuna is wicked tuna is that like a funky fish what's well, a tuna right so i'm, I'm lost <laughs> It's a documentary about tuna fishing. <laughs> okay. Tell us I, more. I am absolutely obsessed by it. It's like these boats in America somewhere where they go out and they, they get tuna fishes and they weigh them and it's like so crazy and the tuna fish are so big. So it, honestly, watch it. Well, when you're saying that, my mind has been set to a similar programme from the British Isles. Trawlerman. Kind of similar, but not as good. Oh, is it not? No. Honestly, watch Wicked Tuna. I said to Amy, I used to watch it with an ex, right? So, years ago. And I said to Amy, you know, there it is, it's on on Sky, or it was on something on a box. And I was like, right, let's watch it. And she's like, no. And I was like, but you love it. Please just let me watch. So I think that's going to be my new, do you know how like women like to, you know, have a wee cup of tea on a Sunday and get curled up and watch a nice <laughs> programme. I think I'm just going to relive my days of Wicked Tuna. Yeah, I think normally they watch like programmes like the Kardashians and Selling Sunset and all these programmes that are... But you're going with Wicked Tuna. Yep. Okay. Don't knock it till you've tried it. Well, there you go. The exact definition of a guilty pleasure, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm making fun of you for liking something. 
And here's <laughs> you. You supported me in my love of wrestling, and I'm making funny. Do you know what? I fucking love tuna fish. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait. After they bombshells, I suppose we need to talk about books. Yeah, let's let's. We're more comfortable there. Mm, I don't know. Um, so start me off. Do you have any genres or anything that is your guilty pleasure, or even just certain books? Right. Um, normally, I would have gone and said, "Oh, see the young adult books, like the John Greens of this world." They would be my guilty pleasure. However, this year, I have discovered two new authors for me, and they very much fit into the guilty pleasure camp, and they fit into that camp anyway. However, I am a 30-year-old man, so they even further fit into guilty pleasures for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking Marianne Keys. And Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> right. No, here it comes. Get ready. I'm ready. I have now read, now I've read one of each of these authors' books, but <laughs> that is enough for me to be fangirling. Marianne Key's Grown Ups is one of the better books I have read this year. Um, I think I and, have that, but I've never read it. It is so good. Um, and this is the thing. Marianne Keys is one of those books you take on your holiday. It's a big, chunky book. It'll get you through your poolside adventures. When you're not staring at the studs in their speedos, you'll be reading your Marianne Keys. <laughs> when you're not and, at the Chippendales uh, <laughs> thing at night. Well, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but just the way that she tells a story... Um, is is really wonderful. It's a funny book, emotional book, but at the same time, I wouldn't want my mates to know I was reading it. But then you post it on social media. Yeah, there's that. Um, that's true. <laughs> oh, I've never thought that one through. <laughs> um, and I've also got the Nicholas Sparks. I, I read the notebook um, mm. as part of a read-along and... The idea was we read the book for the is it the twentieth anniversary this year? We read the, the book and then we watched the film. Um, what did you think was better? I preferred the book, um, and my wife is a big fan of the film. hadn't read the book as far as I'm aware, uh, and so when I was coming into the story saying, "Oh, look at this! This is going to be so exciting," uh, she said, "Oh no, that doesn't that doesn't happen in the film." And that, do, you, do you do that annoying thing that I do where you're watching it and you go, that's not right? And actually pause because at this bit, you're supposed to do this. Yeah. Like, why is he not going to that place now? And why is he not having that as a thing? And so I watched the notebook and then at the end, I kind of just thought, nah, that's not the notebook I know and love. No. So, yeah. my big did, two. did you picture, is it Ryan Gosling? Was he the man in your, in your no. mind? There is an element. Ryan Gosling is beautiful. However, he does not fit where I was going with that character. He's not who I had in my mind. I had rugged, rough, muscular, built a house on his own. And then we've got, hi, I'm Ryan Gosling. Beautiful. Well, as the guy in the notebook book a bit more charismatic, because I don't I think I, I don't think Ryan Gosling is. I think he just stands there in smolders. Yeah, Ryan Gosling is the king of the smolder. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. There is a bit more to the character in the book than there is in the film. He's just he's there to be Amy Adams' beauty, uh, beauty man, I suppose. Uh, and it is it's a difficult one. Oh, Rachel McAdams. I got the name wrong. Wife's in the background telling him off. Yep, I'm Dad. getting whispered because I said the wrong one. Amy Adams is someone else, I suppose. I don't <laughs> know boss. who, who that is. <laughs> oh no, have I just mentioned someone? Um, <laughs> but it's Rachel so, McAdams, apparently. I've read one Nicholas Sparks. I've not read any Marianne Keys, but I've read The Return by Nicholas Sparks, which was a new one, I think, last year or the year before. Last year, maybe. And I didn't rate it this. I've not obviously read the other ones, but I didn't rate it. And I'll, I'll then you read the notebook 
and said you loved it. And we've usually got quite similar tastes. Yeah. So I'm wondering yeah. if it was just that book. Maybe he's got big and he can just produce things and folk will read them and buy That's them. That's maybe the thing. Whereas in the beginning, maybe. Right author, wrong book. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So I'm going to try it again, definitely. Yeah, please do, because I'd like to not be the only person that is shamed into Nicholas Sparks reading just now. Um, right, I've given you two. Hit me with some of your booky guilty pleasures. Right, so from the chiclet genre, which I hate, I actually absolutely hate the word chiclet. Yeah, that name makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it comes from, I don't know if because we do book reviews and stuff, whether, because you're seen as not being a real reader, really, if you read these books, aren't you? Which is ridiculous because these, they, it's still people's works. They put their life and soul into this and this is how they make their money. And that some of them are still so well written. So my guilty pleasures from that genre would be Jackie Collins. I'm a massive, massive fan of Jackie Collins and she is total smut. But yeah. she, Jackie Collins had an insight, she, Joan Collins' sister, she had an insight to the world of Hollywood. So every character she writes, I think I've maybe told you that before, Every character she writes is from her perspective of what's happened in Hollywood. She just changed the names and made it a wee bit different. So, and look at things that have happened now, you know, the, the Me Too movement and all yeah. the things in Hollywood. She knew her shit. And the um, thing is that when you're talking about books like that, it's making me immediately go into like Taylor Jenkins Reid. Well, things, that's exactly it. Who maybe have a bit Sarah- more street carried. Yep. I loved Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo for a number of reasons. But it's to start with, when I started it, it was because it read like a Jackie Collins novel. And I was like, oh, my God, because Jackie Collins sadly passed away. And she's a, quite a big deal to me. Um, so then to read a new book that is obviously she's been the influence behind the book. Yeah. It just, it just sung to me. So it did. But she's a guilty pleasure because she does just write smutty trash but there's there's more to it if you if you listen to interviews and stuff there is totally more to it another one which isn't smutty at all it's just very very girly is Lindsay Kelk every single book she writes I buy I have heard you talk passionately about these books before so Mm -hmm. I am excited to listen again tell me more so when I was 20 I was going through a hard time whatever um loads of boyfriends and stuff just being dicks so then that's why I'm with girls now um so my sister gave me I Heart New York and told me just to read it just to chill out it would help me and it's basically a girl called Angela who finds out her man's cheating on owner pees in his handbag runs away to the other side of the world no his handbag his toiletry bag is it well yeah I don't carry a handbag but hey you don't carry a handbag when you've got the Chippendales Girl, you just leave that alone. <laughs> um, so she pees in his toiletry bag and hops in a plane to the other side of the world, taking herself away and basically tries to find herself. And there is a few love interests in that in there because, you know, it is a chiclet book, but there is also loads of friendships and, you know, finding herself and be and finding her career and everything. I mean, I was 20 trying to find my career, trying to find out who I was, trying to fit in with certain friends and stuff. And it just really, really helped me a lot. Um, so now every single book she brings out every year, I buy. It's 50, I want to say 58 days until our next book comes out. And I cannot wait till it comes through my door. And I will drop whatever I'm reading. I don't care. And I'll just go straight into the world of Lindsay Kelk as well. Are these the kind of books that when you get them, you can devour? Like, they are super quick for you. They're just comfort in a book that you Mm -hmm. can just love, but you can love it and read it. Yeah. Well, it's basically, it's like, for example, your wife with a notebook film. Do you know when you're sad or something, you've got this comfort? So for me, it was always still game or even Dog the Bounty Hunter was a wee comfort thing for me as well. And obviously, (laughs) Wicked Tuna. Um, So... (laughs) So it's just something that takes me away from the world and it's just literally like getting into a big cuddle. Yeah. No matter what. I think that's what books should be, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read most, mostly I read books to learn 
um, and broaden my horizons and stuff. But sometimes you just need a big cuddle. For sure. So if we then went on to Scottish <clears throat> guilty pleasures, I have a quite a big one. And I say big one because each book is this size, which you wow. can't see, reader, but it's 1,600 pages in each one. Do you know who I'm going to talk about? No. No. So this is the Outlander books by oh, Diana Gabaldon. So of course. These, these are guilty pleasures for me because they weren't guilty, guilty pleasures until the TV series came out, which I have not watched yet. But everybody fell in love with Jamie Fraser, which the books are. He's in it as well, and he's there, and he's all sexy and whatever. But for me, it's although it's historical fiction, I love the historical elements. So I'm reading them because it's like going back in time, whereas other people are reading them to see what sexy Jamie Fraser's up to and who he's gonna, what he's gonna do to his missus. So it kind of when I found all that out, it kind of no ruined it for me, but made me a bit more embarrassed. So I, although there's 1,600 pages, this is the ninth one, and I flew through the other ones, but now I've stopped and I've not picked this up in a year because oh. people are just ruining it for me, man. They're ruining your guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. Nobody will ruin Lindsay Kelp for me, though. So you've got an eclectic taste like me, right? Mm. So you could read absolutely anything. And I know this year is the year or last year, the years that you started picking up a wee bit of queer fiction now and again. Yeah. So was that ever a guilty pleasure for you at all? I don't mean pleasure. That's because obviously you're a very straight cisgender man. I don't mean pleasure as in that way, but just an enjoyment. Something that I found joy in. Um, I don't know. Um, there were books that maybe I wasn't as comfortable mm-hmm. maybe reading as I'm walking to the gym. Yeah. Um, but I have now found a good list of these these queer fiction books that I, I actually will sing the praises of wherever I can now. But I don't know if that's because I'm becoming a more confident reader and reviewer or whether it's just that these books are those books that I would talk about anyway. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I I do think it's just because I can now appreciate each book for what it is and if I'm reading something quite highbrow I know that's in a different category to something like we're talking about in, in this episode of these guilty pleasure books um, and I can now appreciate what is a good queer fiction book and mm-hmm. what's maybe a not so good queer no. fiction book so I, I do think yeah so- there would have been a little bit even being queer, I was always a wee bit more embarrassed. I would never have took a queer book to my work because then if somebody asked me what it's about and I had to explain it to them, um, I was a, I'm always quite self-conscious about being queer out in the masses, okay? It's just the way it is. You can't, you can't help it. I would never walk down the street holding my wife's hand, so I'm not going to hold a big book up that says queer, do you know? Because um, you just don't know who's about. But since going on social media... And speaking to people and realizing that even people like you, that these books are not just all, you know, when you think, when you used to think about queer um, LGBT fiction, you thought sex, smutty, dark, dingy. It's not at all. It's some beautiful, beautiful books. And I don't know if that's because the world's changing now. And people are more accepting. So these books are becoming more widely known and widely accepted and popular. I think queer fiction is quite popular right now. Well, can I throw in, I mm. am reading a queer book with my class are right you? now. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and that's not something I could have done at the start of my career. And that's only seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am now with my class reading Me, My Dad and uh, The End of the Rainbow by Benjamin Dean. And it's a lovely story about a a family that's broken apart because the dad has finally admitted that he's gay. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a a separation of mum and dad and little Archie is very confused. And the whole book is about him going to London Pride um, because he thinks that's going to fix all the problems because he sees the happy faces and the smiling families. 
and it turns into a bit of an adventure book, but it's all centered around the fact that we've got a central character who is gay and we're getting that in children's literature now. And my class are hooked when the dad finally admits, or, or it's kind of, it's alluded to at the start of the book, but when the actual words come out of the dad's mouth, I am gay. There was silence in my classroom, the same way that there is when there's a big revelation in any other kind of book. And is that not now just acceptable? Is this not something we can just all now talk about? We can talk about it at 10 year olds in a classroom. We can make it accessible for people who maybe feel that way and shouldn't be made to feel guilty in feeling that way. Exactly. So hopefully it will no longer be a guilty pleasure. So we've went through all the guilty pleasures books, but the real lesson is I love tuna and you love Chippendales. Yeah. And that's just the way the world works. Speaking about loving what you want, um, I would love to know uh, what happened last week, the answer to last week's question. So this is our done in 60 second segment where one of us challenges the other to try and guess something from Scotland um, and Scottish culture based on a few little clues. And we've got 60 seconds to guess what it is. Now, last week, Natalie set the challenge for me and I failed miserably. Could not get the answer. So over to Natalie to hopefully put me out of my week-long misery. What was the answer? So, Scott, people were messaging us shocked and appalled that you didn't get this answer. I'm actually not sure we can be friends, but hopefully you redeem yourself next time. So, also, guys, can I just point out that he also messaged me the other day there to say, was it Breakfast Club that Martin Compton was in Breakfast Club? And Martin Compton was about six months old when Breakfast Club came out, so I'm not sure how he was in it. Oh, no. There we go. Okay, so it's a movie, right? And it's a movie that tells the story of Liam, a teenage boy from a troubled background who dreams of starting afresh with his mother, as soon as she completes her prison term. Liam attempts to raise money for the Fresh Start in Greenock, Port Glasgow and Gurick. Do you know it, Scott? I'm still none the wiser. Oh my fucking God. It is Graham Armstrong's muse or what made him one of the reasons why he wanted to write the young team and it is called Sweet Sixteen. That is what I meant when I said The Breakfast Club. Well, I said that to Amy and she was like, you've, you're trying to help him a wee bit. Because I said, he's maybe thinking Breakfast Club because you've got 16 candles, Amy, but what he means is sweet 16. That is the film I was meaning. It was in that same sort of era. <laughs> Jesus. It's not the same era. No, but you know what I mean? Like, it's in that same, like, it focuses on teens. No. It focuses on... <laughs> of course it bloody was. So you've seen it? No. You've not seen it? No, but I've heard of it. Oh, my God. That is your homework for this okay. week. You need right. to watch Sweet Sixteen because you find it. absolutely love it. If you think right. you love the young team, it is basically the young team on your screen. Well, it's not really right. because the young team's in it, but there's wee Ned's in it. I'll get on it. Good. Speaking of getting on it, are you ready to get on the 60 seconds? Yep, I'm ready, but don't make it. You're going to make it hard. I thought mine was an I've easy not, one. You've I've not. not. I've really not. I've, I've gone for the same sort of idea. I don't want to to make fun of you and embarrass you in front of all, all of our listeners. It's just don't me who wants to do that with you. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. So I'm going to describe something from Scottish culture or Scotland that you will hopefully guess within 60 seconds based on my clues. Okay, here we go. World War Two. Callum. Rural. Forest. 
gamekeeper. Animal traps. Kneel. Gathering pine cones. Cone gatherers. Yes, you got there. I've not I've not read it though. Oh, was it just that, that gathering pine cones? Yeah, it was a bit. Yeah. That's the only clue. Yeah, it was a bit on the nose that one. Yeah, I did think that might have been the one that gave it away. What um, else did you have? I then went into brutality, Robin Jenkins, Scottish Highlands, and Durer, who's the big bad in that book. Oh, I feel um, like I need to read it now. Yeah, I was I was reading um, some of the old the, the reviews that I'd. Uh, I could find on the internet about it and it kind of made me interested again. I, I read it at high school and mm. um, like most of us have, but um, I wonder if my more mature mind will appreciate it a bit more now. Maybe. Cone gatherers. We know I'm still the winner. Yeah. Who, so who now, won to me? Well, that, that's pretty much it. You've, you've now, that was 39 seconds. So you've got the top place on the leaderboard with 15 You've got second place with 21 uh, seconds left on the clock, so 39 seconds, and I'm not even on it. I'm more Scottish than you. That's what it means. So, Scott, that brings us to the near the end of the podcast. What are you looking forward to reading next? The Kite Runner. Are you going on it? I've I've got to. Um, I've got, I'm the host of the read book club and this month we have chosen the kite runner um in our read the decades theme and we chose the 70s and we chose the kite runner and i got really excited about it and then just all these other books have come along and i've now left myself seven days to get that and two other books read Um, have you started it at all no okay so i'm in front of you because i have read three pages Oh, well done. Thank you. Thank well you. done. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It sounds great. I've heard nothing but good things. So I should be into it, but I've just got all these other books queued up in front. I might be the host that turns up to his own meeting, having no idea what anyone's talking about. And it's just another one that's going to make us sad. It's a sad book again. A very timely book as well, given what's going on in Afghanistan just now. But yeah. Um, I just, I, I've not got around to it yet. Hopefully by next Thursday, it'll be done. Clock's ticking. Yeah, the pressure Get is on. on. <laughs> what are you uh, looking forward to getting your eyes on? So I have no idea. Wow. I have said the last twice, two books that I have still not read. So I said Buddha Da and I said Kite Runner. And like I said, I have only read three pages of Kite Runner and I haven't even looked at Buddha Da. My books for this month that I haven't read are Buddha Da, Kite Runner, The Wasp Factory, Dear Evan Hansen, Pet Cemetery. They were all books I was going to read this month and I haven't picked up a single one. I've even put the wee tabs in Pet Cemetery, getting it all ready, 25 pages a day. I've not read, I've read zero pages a day of it. Um. But I think since it's Halloween coming up, mm-hmm. I'm going to go straight in and read my first Scottish horror book, I think, is what I'm going to do. So it'll be Things We See in the Dark by Kirsty Logan, who's apparently quite a really, really good horror writer. I've not heard of that Scottish. book before. So It's a collection of dark stories. Um, <sighs> and... It says, alone in a remote house in Iceland, a woman is unnerved by her isolation. We've all been there. Mm-hmm. Another can only find respite from the clinging ghost that follows her by submerging herself in an overgrown pool. Couples wrestle with a lack of connection to their children. A schoolgirl becomes obsessed with the female anat- anatomical models yeah. in a museum, and a cheery account of a child's day out is undercut by shelling footnotes. These dark tales explore women's fears with electrifying honesty and invention and speak to one another about the female bodies, domestic claustrophobia, desire, and violence. Interesting. 
So Something a bit different, isn't it? Yeah, and I think because it's short stories, I might be able to read, even if it was just like a wee story every day or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds good. So, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do for Halloween. So I'll either be loving it or I'll be cowering in a corner terrified. Well, that is it. We have now come to the end of our third podcast. Um, thanks very much for listening. Uh, it's been lovely to have your company, um, as it has yours, Natalie. Um, we are always available for a wee chinwag and a chat. If you want to send us an email, you can find us at the We Scottish Book Club at gmail.com or you can get in touch with Natalie via her socials, which are on Instagram, I am Scotty's and Books. Over on Twitter, I am Scotty's N Books. And my address is oh, don't, don't, oh. don't tell him that, don't tell him that. <laughs> Too far. And you can also find me on Instagram at Scott U Reading. I have often wondered, do you think people get confused because your Scott is in books? Do you think people think, oh, that might be Scott? Hey, that does happen, mine. Does it? Do people always send you? Oh, do you get those messages too? Uh-huh. Oh, no. I like your Wally, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> is that just Alison, my wife? She's sending you those messages as well. Talking about my Wally like that. Right. <laughs> Please join us next week where we won't be talking about that. We will be talking about other things. Uh, we will have our first ever special guest. Um, we are going to be talking to Scottish writer Emma Gray, um, who we mentioned at the start of this podcast, who has recently released Be Good to Your Mammy. Um, we'll be talking all things Scots language, Scots writing with her, but also digging a little bit deeper on Be Good to Your Mammy. So, Join us next week for that. But until then, Natalie, you dancing? You asking? Oh, I'm asking. <laughs> Hello? No. I don't know how I wanted it to go. You sound like Adele. Hello, Hello. it's us again. Oh, you're animated. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I was on by the end of the podcast. At the start, I'm like, um, so I, I went to there and then I did this and then I had a jobby. <laughs> you're feeding the outtakes this week. Um, <laughs> so, join us next week. You're Natalie. Hey. You're dancing. I'm dancing. Oh, shit. <laughs> hey. You're dancing. You're asking. <laughs> I forgot. You're Natalie. Hey. You're, you're dancing. <laughs> it's that. It's that. It's been as well. Hey. <laughs> hey. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I am doing the hail and fling. <laughs> <laughs>